I just like having a vibrant social life that has many other influences. And I think LA is a city that's been around for like a hundred years. It's established itself and has good identity. I'm Alex Bloomberg, host of the podcast Startup, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. My name is Esprit Devora, born and raised LA, and I created We Are LA Tech in 2012 to unify the community. Podcast launched in 2014, continuing to help people find the best talent, to connect with each other, to form awesome relationships. So proud of this show. Enjoy. Today's We Are LA Tech episode shout out goes to Chris Miles. Chris Miles, thank you for being such a longtime member of the We Are LA Tech community and just championing everything that we do. Really appreciate you. Be sure to say hello to Chris on Twitter at Miles Next Door. That's M I L E S N E X T D O O R. Miles Next Door. Let Chris know you found him via We Are LA Tech. I'm in bed right now. Today's personal spot is about how I went to the first startup school in San Francisco, which was crazy. It's where I got to meet Mark Zuckerberg from, obviously, everybody knows Facebook for maybe somebody in Iraq that doesn't know. And it was before Facebook was a Goliath like it is today. And now startup school is doing a digital version. So I'm like in their little digital Zoom things or whatever you want to call it. And uh, it's really just, it's just weird to see how far along I've come and my journey. I remember that first time at startup school, it was in San Francisco. I drove there to be a part of it. And it's just it was my first time meeting other people like me, like other builders. And I was just like, wow, I was just like so excited. Oh, it was the best. I wish I could go back to that day. And oh, so exciting and such an adrenaline rush. And it just reminds me that everything that we create as founders and builders, it's all just this creative adventure. We stress, we work ourselves silly, but it's all just this creative, adventurous wonderland. And it's an exciting life that we live. Anyway, that's my personal spot. I am exhausted, which is why I'm in bed. Enjoy the next episode. to the We Are LA Tech podcast, celebrating LA tech companies and talent. So excited for our next guest guy coming at us from Hollywood. Hello. Hi. Hi, everyone. I'm Guy. I'm uh, one of the co-founders of a company called SciFind. It's a social network for scientists, basically a place where scientists share their information beyond publication pipelines, things like negative results, know-how, expertise. It's like a troubleshooting platform. If you're familiar with Stack Overflow or Reddit, it's like that, but for science. When you first told me a few months before, maybe it was weeks before, I had just watched that movie with uh, Elizabeth something with the med Holmes. Mo- yeah. <laughs> yes. And I was like, oh my gosh, we totally need a wiki for scientists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely need a place where the accountability doesn't happen at the last stage. <laughs> so 
Yeah. Okay. So I'm really excited to have you on the podcast because I've been nerding out about your company and just about you and just getting to know you through the We Are Light Tech Summer Series and your character and how you show up in the world and the excitement of being in this new studio for the first time today. Mm. Like, I don't know, my brain is going everywhere like popcorn. Tell me, how did you get involved in the tech and science world? I mean, I was originally a scientist. Um, I was a molecular biologist and I went through an accelerator called IndieBio through the Bay Area. I was the first employee of a company called Girolette Inc., which was an immunorepertoire sequencing company. Basically, they sequence your immune system. So I did a lot of work for them and you know, worked in biotech from a startup perspective and also in academia for a bit. If you ask any scientist, when they get to the bench and have to do this kind of work, uh, you'll see there's a lot of problems with troubleshooting and ca- and science itself is a lot more chaotic than we would uh, we might think. <laughs> so it's not this orderly approach. In fact, I would compare a lot of baseline science. It's kind of artistic. I mean, you're 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 working at the fringe of knowledge. so you you don't know what the answer is, meaning you sometimes have to brute force answers and just try all sorts of different experiments and tinker around till, you get something plausible and then you run with it. Where are you in the stage of your company right now? Mm-hmm. So we're at a, a pre-seed stage. We're basically building out a lot of the infrastructure for how we build out this type of troubleshooting network and scientific network. Um, so we work with different uh, communities. One of the ones we're working with right now is like genetic engineering and synthetic biology. These are specifically communities that have a high focus on what we call bench work. So um, you know, you, it's kind of like being a chef, you know, you come to the bench like a, and there you have to work with all sorts of different chemicals. There's a lot of expertise involved, uh, protocols or like, are kind of like recipes. And there's actually a lot of expertise involved and even tribal knowledge on how to get things to work in your hands. So you have a co-founder. You're not doing this on your own. Where did you meet your co-founder and what is your lead responsibility versus their lead responsibility? Mm -hmm. So I met my co-founder when I was living in the Bay, right? I was working at my biotech startup and she was working at Facebook at the time. And we met actually talking about, we we lived in the same apartment complex and we met um, kind of discussing some of the frictions I was having as a scientist. And she had worked on an OpenStreetMaps project at, Facebook. And so a lot of that involved like having volunteers, like community led um, data generation. So that's kind of what she worked on. And that's how we came together on the problem. And her family, um, she comes from a family of like doctors and scientists. So she's always been adjacent to the space. And yeah, and we're, I mean, we're good friends. We get along super well. And yeah, we've been doing this for a minute. So Having someone to share it with is super important. And what's her name? Uh, her name is Stephanie Robinette. Yay! We got to have her on the Women in Tech podcast. Yes, I know. I'll uh, I'll hit her up and tell her to uh, to come through. And She's where, a delight. Where should everybody follow her on social? Does she use Twitter or Instagram um, or any of the things? Does she use Twitter? Not really. Not. Um, she uses. I. You can find her on LinkedIn. That's she, fine. She'll use LinkedIn. Um. She does have a. She Old does school. have a Twitter. <laughs> it's um. Stephanie Robnet four. That's S T E F A N I R O B N E T T four. Um. On Twitter, but um. You can find her on LinkedIn. Stephanie Robnet. Why do this company? It is so hard to be a founder. It's. 
it's just such an insane life. And especially the pre-seed stage where you still have the whole founder, crazy hurricane journey ahead of you, including the journey you've already been through that's a hurricane. Why lead your life in this direction? I mean, I think the first premise is when people usually go into, when they go into science, it's very rare that people become scientists to for some kind of financial motivation or something. Not that you can't make money in biotech, but that's not usually the first reason why someone would go and spend like a decade, you know, studying some very niche molecule or whatever to to do that, right? So I think for a lot of people who who go into that space, it starts off with a, a deep appreciation or ethical uh, perspective on science, and so. Then once you actually start working in the lab, you see that there's a lot of inefficiencies and problems with how science is conducted, um, despite it being really captivating. So I think that's one of the first pieces that compels me. Like it's just a love of science and and making it better and making it easier and not having to do things like reinvent the wheel. Like if things are already resolved, then let them be so. So We Are Light Tech is not a controversial podcast but I'm going to ask a borderline controversial question. I'm afraid mm. to ask it. Sure. Are we okay? I mean, science knows. Like, are we, what's happening with our world? Are we going to be all right? <laughs> well, d I mean, it depends with what. I mean, I think there's a lot of promise. Like, there's a lot of great technological developments happening. Um, I mean, I'd be worried about climate change, uh, but... And I'd actually be less worried about science and more worried about people's perspective of it. So, you know, when we had and we still are having COVID to an extent, I mean, if you a, a lot of people um, have a certain perspective on vaccines or whatever, but from my community and all the other people I know who work in biotech and science, we saw what what is basically like building the Great Wall of China. It's like a world wonder how we pushed out this vaccine so quickly, efficiently and using completely novel technology um, that works almost perfectly and flawlessly. Like the advancements that we made in terms of the vaccines that are out now are like really amazing. And the average person doesn't understand like how crazy it is, what, what, like what we managed to do in under a year and to get this thing out. So I think when push comes to shove, we can kind of figure things out. And the main hindrance is not a scientific one, but actually a bureaucratic one or a informational, like how we share knowledge, how our systems oppose um, scientific progress. Now, you're based here in L.A. Are you from L.A.? Uh, no, I'm originally from Toronto. And when did you move to L.A.? I moved to America maybe seven years ago. I started in New York for a year and then moved to the Bay Area and was there for like four years or something. And then uh, and then moved to L.A., three years ago. Okay. Why LA? I mean, Bay Area, tech, science, why LA? I love LA. Like, I like the weather. It's like, I like if the I'm going to build, may as well be by the beach. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like, well, if you're, if you're working in this digital environment, then why not pick a place where um, you like being? And I think that gives, gives one a lot of strength and conviction. And also the other thing that I love, and this is a, this is a hard take, but like, you know, there's a lot of really brilliant people in the Bay, a lot of people coming from tech and biotech, especially. I mean, there are huge industries there. But outside of that, you know, I like having a personal life where I have friends who work in 
art and music and fashion and all these other kind of divergent in- industries that sometimes maybe overlap with tech, but uh, but don't. And I just like having a vibrant social life that has many other influences. And I think LA is a city that's been around for like a hundred years. It has a, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's established itself. It has an, it has a good identity. How is the science tech community in Los Angeles? Honestly, it's really supportive and very tight knit. Like, especially in biotech, there's a, there's a really great organization here called Bioscience LA. Yeah. Shout, yep, shout out. But Dave. they're awesome. Yes. Dave Whelan is like the best human ever. Yeah. Yes. There's and there's great there's great founders and companies here. Um I one of my favorite is a is a founder, his name's Elliot Roth. He runs a company called Spira and they make um this uh dyes from algae. And he's really awesome. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, there's, I think it's really tight knit. I think people are really supportive and helpful. And LA has a lot to prove from a scientific perspective. And it's interesting because it has a lot of really great institutions that it is strange that it's not like a heavy lifter. Like it has, you know, it has um, Caltech, UCLA, USC, it has Amgen, it has a like, and people really like living here too. It has a lot of uh, appeal. We have so many listeners. If there was one ask you had of our community, something they could do to accelerate you in your success, what would that ask be? What's something you're looking to solve right now? I mean, really, if you're- Give me money. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, safe notes are always welcome. I mean, if people are passionate about uh, pushing pushing the scientific narrative and mission forward, I mean, that's the first part, but really, um, this is the kind of thing that the kind of thing we're working on is something that any researcher, not just in the life sciences, but in the broader scientific sense, uh, would utilize. At the end of the day, I like to say that the bench is the ultimate equalizer because it, you know, it doesn't care about your prestige and it doesn't care about where you come from or what you do. It's just empirical. It's it's just about what can you practically derive from this experimental experience. And share with everyone again where to check out your website. Um, yeah, you can check out our platform at www.scifind.net. You can play around on it. It's in an, it's in, it's open to the public. It's actually an open access um, uh, platform. So all the scientific information that's there is accessible to everyone. And it will also be in the show notes. Diving into L.A. culture, what is your favorite restaurant? I know we were talking about this before we started. Oh, yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. you have to send it to me. My favorite restaurant in LA, and please do not, like, do not crowd this place. <laughs> it's called Carousel. It's an amazing Armenian restaurant in, well, there's one in Glendale and there's one in East, like, East Hollywood. It is my favorite place. I love it. Like, it's um, ar- it's amazing Armenian food. If you're not familiar with Armenian food, it's kind of like Middle Eastern, like, a lot of hummus and pita and kebabs and things of that sort uh my favorite thing there is actually this like beef tartare <laughs> it's really I good love beef tartare. <laughs> it's a little a little carnivorous but you know tastes good i think i'm gonna take we are LA tech we were talking about that i'm pretty convinced i am and what activity would i know you're not big into sports so what activity would you recommend everybody does in la honestly i like i, I you have I, the one hike well, oh yeah, I go to Bronson all the time. Also, do not crowd it because I like that it's low <laughs> I feel like, key. should we bleep them out? Um, no, 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 it's okay. Like a um, uh, one of my favorite things to do, it's like a, it's, it's a very particular thing. Like 
So there's these Korean spas. They're yes. called Jimjo Bungs. And there's one that I always go to called We Spa in uh, in Koreatown. And we usually do this with our friends. It's a very particular circuit where we go to um, we go to some Korean barbecue, you know, drink some soju, beer, eat some meat. Um, my favorite Korean barbecue place is actually a place called Sutbul Jeep that is the only one that uses charcoal. It's really good. And so it gets really stinky because you smell like a campfire. And so you eat, you know, you get a little tipsy. And then not far from there is the spa. And you can go to the spa. It costs like 30 bucks a night or something. You can stay there. You just go there and, you know, there's like hot tubs and saunas and massages massages and well i don't know if there's massages at midnight but mm. um yeah you can just go and hang out with your friends they also have a restaurant in there um it's like a very peculiar activity but that's my favorite thing to do i've done it before it actually is really cool there was one time i was working at like two in the morning and i'm like i just need to relax and i'm just like let me just drive to koreatown and chill out there yeah I feel like it's you it's, legit can sleep that you could fall yes. asleep in one of the rooms yeah yes there's a big like kind of co-ed the the first floor is is gender segregated and then the second floor is co-ed you put on these little shorts and shirt and you can go up and there's like yummy cucumber water and bubble tea and other korean food like bib and bop and i don't know it's like it's amazing I it's, gotta it's, do it's, that. An, it's an institution really <laughs> yes i 100 percent have to do that <laughs> and who is a person in la you've come across lately um either a person or a company who's really impressed you someone in la tech i mean i was saying before i mean i i fraternize a lot with people in biotech and whatnot so i was saying before elliot roth is really he's a really great guy and he's working on really amazing things in the in the biotech community, um, you know, from a sustainability perspective. So I would really uh, I'd shout him out. It's almost the same question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Who is a must follow? Like it could be a podcaster. You have a podcast. Why don't we shout oh, out yes. your podcast? Um, I do have a podcast. It's called the Fancy Lab Code Guild. And we interview uh, scientists, researchers, engineers about kind of their life stories and a bit about their perspective on scientific culture and some of the work they do. Um, I wouldn't say it's that heavy handed or highbrow as in like we're not going into like super dense scientific yeah. context. But there, there is a bit of that. So And we'll include it in the show notes as well. Where yes. can everybody find your podcast? Um, yeah, you can just uh, go. It's on Spotify and Apple Apple Music? Is that Apple Podcasts? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just called the Fancy Lab Coat Guild. The Fancy um, Lab Coat Guild. And I run it with my co host, Ali Dashti. Um, so, what was the other What was the other thing? Well, just like I was saying, who's a must follow? It could be a Twitter profile, it could uh, be a podcaster, it could be a YouTuber, it could be a blogger, anybody. Honestly, um, one of my uh, one of my friends here, her name is uh, Chris Tatiosian. She runs this really interesting TikTok called. Um, and Instagram account called CRISPR Classroom, where she talks about this. Um, she has like an educational platform for teaching um, uh, genetic engineering, kind of genetic engineering resources. CRISPR, if you don't know, is a is a tool for gene editing that's used. It's very popular and hot right now, and has many applications from you know agriculture to medicine, and it's it's a it's a really powerful tool. It's kind of like programming your genetic code. So Chris Tatiosian of CRISPR Classroom. Awesome. And everyone knows I am a super software nerd. What is your favorite website or app? My favorite website or app? God, I mean, it really depends what purpose. Like, <laughs> uh, 
for pure entertainment, like mind numbing entertainment, like I, I really like TikTok. I really hate to admit it, <laughs> but it is highly entertaining. Almost it's bad. I, I don't like that. It's so addictive. It's, it's so that they're addictive. so good at what they do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> otherwise, um, I don't know. I kind of like, I, I like discord a lot mm. and I like Slack. I, I used to, and still do play a lot of, uh, video games and I like the the way that you can like build community with that just completely virtually how can people connect with you yeah honestly you can catch me on twitter my twitter is at uh grokin g-r-o-h-k-i-n and I also run my company's twitter which is just at sci underscore find and you can feel free to tweet at me I'm very responsive <laughs> yeah you are any last thoughts before we go I think it's important to read like <laughs> indeed I think, yeah keep keep reading I mean I think in a world where you know it's very easy to be misinformed it's always best to start from the ground up uh, conceptually like whether that's philosophically ideologically scientifically don't let people kind of peddle their own propaganda sometimes to you but it's much harder work to do that. To create your own um, intellectual baseline is much more difficult than it is to like regurgitate things. I think it's also hard to know who to trust to be reading. I read that there was this, you know, especially in our influencer culture, mm -hmm. it's just it, sometimes people, unfortunately, are very successful at being deceptive. Yes, exactly. And, and I think I think that's what I mean. If you're looking at thought leaders from a... Like you have to see where their incentives lie. If their incentive is economic, which is for most people in today's world, you know, you got to parse through what they're saying. That's why I'm saying when I say from a philosophical perspective, I mean, whenever you see ideology being peddled at you, the place to start with is to is to gain philosophical tools, which means literally like reading a lot of what philosophy, like the baselines of what philosophers have done and what type of. Um, theories they've come up with, which lets you dissect the kind of information that's being thrown at you. So a really cool example of that, there's a famous French philosopher named Jacques Derrida, and um, he was an Algerian Jew who felt like an outsider in Algeria. And then when um, uh, I think France left Algeria, because Algeria was a colony of it, he went to France. But in France, he didn't feel like he really belonged there. So he was always an outsider in any society that he was. And he kind of came up with this um, philosophical concept called uh, deconstructionism or deconstruction or something like that. And um, to put it in perspective, what he does is he says that with any truth that we find like in, infallible or absolute in the world, there's always something to be gained from the opposite of that truth. So an example he uses is let's say the term... Um, you know, we like to say equality is like the best thing. You know, let's have equality, blah, 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 which makes sense. Like it is important to live in an equal society. However, he would posit that there are situations in which the unequal dynamic of a relationship yields something of value. For example, the relationship between a parent and a child or a student and a teacher. So in that scenario, in this context, you don't want equality because there is there's something to be learned from this discrepancy in in power or in knowledge. Um, so that's something to note. And uh, my favorite, to kind of end it, my favorite thing that he came up with is a, is a term called aporia, 
which he says is like, it's like the sign of the most sharpest intellect. And aporia is, is a Greek word that basically means the ability to hold two conflicting notions at once, two conflicting ideas, and, and be okay with that without having to reconcile their, their difference. Like you can accept the paradox. That's so cool. Oh, that's such a powerful note to end on. Thank you so much, Guy, for hanging out with the We Early Tech Podcast. Yeah, thank you so much, Esprit. Of course, to connect and collaborate with more amazing people in the LA Tech community, remember to go to wearelatech.com slash community. That's wearelatech.com slash community. Say hello on social at We Are LA Tech on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you, talk to you, all the things in the next episode. Bye. Peace out. Hi, everyone. My name is Guy Rockin. I'm the co-founder of a company called SciFind, a social network for scientific experimentation. And we're based in Hollywood, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. The We Are LA Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by... Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. Music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The We Are LA Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production.